let's face it, a lot of us W2 people do have some semblance of PTSD. You know, you throw yourself into something and a few years later, it probably looks great on a resume, but how are you doing? <laughs> yeah. There's so much that you can do from home, from your phone, from your computer. It really makes you overly accessible. There isn't that I go work at a factory and then I come home and I'm not at the factory anymore. Totally. You learned this kind of behavior that, hey, I need to be vigilant about everything that I say, everything that I put out there. But there's still this mentality of like, I walk five miles in the snow uphill both ways, <laughs> you know, and I put food on the table, but yeah. it's, it's just not the same anymore. And, mm -hmm. and we can't pretend that it is. We can't pretend that it's okay to hate your job and then like expect you to also be a happy person and show up for your family and your friends. Yeah. Hey everybody, I'm Sarah, host of Success Unscripted. Today I'm joined by Alex Turkovich, a former musician turned customer success leader and host of his own podcast, the Digital Customer Success Podcast. One of the things that I love about Alex is that he's never afraid to go deep with me. So in addition to talking a lot about digital, we're also gonna talk about male privilege, the importance of addressing workplace trauma, and how to create an environment for your team that allows them to be vulnerable. As always, thanks for being here. I'm your host, Sarah Roberts, and you're listening to Success Unscripted. So just as a quick intro, like you're, you're very ingrained in the customer success community. You are director of adoption at Snow. You also are the creator and host of the Digital Customer Success Podcast, uh, and, and you are also a coach for up-and-coming CS leaders, or I don't know if you also do sure. ICs, but so I, I do want to get into all that stuff, and then yeah. there's also some more juicy stuff that um, I know we've talked about that we're going to talk about today. Yep. But before we get into that, I want to learn about just like... Who, who was Alex before you got into tech? Um, before tech, geez, uh, I was, a, I'm, I'm a mutt. I'm a professional mutt. Um, as, as many of us are, I think, but, yeah. um, I'm, I was raised bilingual. I was born in Austria, grew up in Missouri, you know, Austrian dad, American mom. So that was very interesting, um, as well. Lots of culture shock as a kid. Um, but I, I, for the first 20 years of my life, really, it was music. It was all music, very musical family. Mm -hmm. Um, and I went to, you know, college, uh, studied, you know, percussion and, and got, you know, walked away with a degree in audio engineering and music production, moved to Nashville, made records there for a while. So it was like, it was like, that was the thing. And I didn't realize there were other things. And then um, when that thing really sucked, <laughs> um, it was like, it was this massive convergence of like different life events. Um, my wife and I, we both lived in Nashville. At the time she was my fiance. We were both in the music industry. We were both kind of disillusioned with the music industry. And um, we were like, you know, screw it. Let's, can, I, can I curse? Are you a curse oh, yeah. show? Okay. That's not even, I don't, I don't consider that a curse, but yes. It wasn't, I, it was my, it was my cleaned up version. Um, 
<laughs> I meant to say fuck it. Let's move to um better. Better. let's let's move to Austin. Um let's get married. Let's open this small business. We opened up like this cooking school for kids type situation. And I started working at Dell to pay the bills. And mm. uh and uh so it was like this massive amount of change in a short amount of time. That was like 16, 17 years ago or whatever. And, what? uh, yeah. The disillusionment with the music uh -huh. industry. Tell me more about that. Um, that's, I mean, the stuff you see on like, you know, music videos and documentaries and the Grammy awards and all that kind of stuff. It's so it like, so amazing. And then the, the the underbelly of the music industry is just a gross uh male driven toxic environment you know drugs and stuff like that plus that was right around the time where music industry hadn't figured out streaming yet and so like oh everything was like in total chaos and i was just like you know what it's it started it started as, hey, this is something you love, so you might as well make a career out of it and turn to something you despise doing. And so you mm. know. <laughs> yeah, I know what that feels like. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Okay, so you say, fuck it, you move to Austin, mm -hmm. you start a cooking school for kids, <laughs> and uh, you work at Dell to pay the bills. Then yeah, that's it. Um, I just, you know, I spent those five years at Dell just learning everything I possibly could. It, it was in learning and development, right? So I learned mm -hmm. a ton about adult learning theory and, you know, how to manage programs and, and create great content and do all those kinds of things. And what's interesting is, is I, I was always an educator. Mm -hmm. like whether I knew it or not, when I was a drummer, I was teaching drums. When I was in the studio, I was teaching, you know, folks how to line tape machines and stuff like that. So education is kind of like in my DNA. And so it was just a natural progression of that. And, and education just has always kind of found me um, no matter what I was doing. So, yeah. um, you know, it was, it was, it was just learning, like straight up learning for five years. And then, you know, got a few opportunities along the way to start leading teams at various companies and things like that. And it's, uh, it, it's, it's been a fun eclectic ride. Cool. Yeah. yeah and between Dell and snow where yeah. you are now, I noticed that you, you did hold several other yeah. training, learning and development type of CS mm -hmm. roles. And I'm curious that how how do you see that translating into digital which is your focus now um that's a good question i mean you know the 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 scope of roles kind of morphed from like hey you know internal lnd to then customer facing education to then professional services to you know all of that kind of stuff and so so when I landed on digital CS a few years ago, it was kind of like the perfect culmination for me of like enablement and really being able to um, help uh, a large amount of people at scale and yeah. kind of this 
other other side of me that's very kind of technical and scrappy and likes to figure out how systems work together and how data works and all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, you know, those two things together, um, it, it it just kind of came together. It clicked, um, and I'm 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 glad that it did when it did because obviously you know budgets and stuff have been pretty gross in the last couple of years and and everybody's been leaning in hard on scaled and leaning in hard on digital so it's been a good yeah. time to get into it so yeah well i mean that's that's really where the future is mm -hmm. and i think what cs as a whole is just trying to figure out is how does digital fit with everything yeah. else that they've always been doing mm -hmm. like implementation or renewals or account yeah. management or enterprise. Um, and so actually <laughs> before we get into that, you always ask your guests to define what digital customer success is. Yeah. So what, what would your answer to that question be? You know, it's, it's so funny because as you know, all of my guests, I, I've, I've never really had the same answer on the show, yeah. which to me kind of um, highlights the fact that A, it's still kind of like this thing that everybody's figuring out, but it's also a thing that has incredible amounts of variability depending yeah. on your environment what you know what you're what you're working with in terms of your products your tools your blah 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 but fundamentally speaking right it's um helping your customers achieve you know their outcomes using the technology that you have in combination with the humans that you have because um a lot of people think that digital cs is like this black box thing like either you have it or you don't have it and it's actually mm. just part of your overall CS strategy. And my view on it is that, yes, you're going to create some customer facing stuff and content and, and distributions and in product stuff. But, but a big part of digital is just also building internal um, efficiencies so that your humans aren't pulling their hair out when they're mm -hmm. having to have you know, they're having to have all these value-based value, value -based conversations with their customers, but then there's all this admin that they have to do and all this content creation that they have to do and all this side stuff that just distracts them. So I think this is my long-winded answer. A big part of digital is just, you know, helping your team to be as effective as possible. What would you say the overlap is with operations? Mm -hmm. um, in some cases, I think the digital program is run by operations, you know, because mm -hmm. so much of, you know, what operations does, which is, you know, data analytics and tools administration and all of that kind of stuff, you know, is the backbone of digital. Um, the, the thing that, that, that ops doesn't always account for are you know like the customer facing side of things if you have a scale team for instance or the content side of things if you're you know have because content's got to come from somewhere right you know and so you know it's it's kind of a i would say 50 percent of it is very very operational and very 
data and systems driven. But mm -hmm. the other bit is like sheer, sheer like you know creative customer engagement and and uh, and the and the kind of the ownership and the project management that you need to run a successful like customer journey program. And so, as the leader of your team at Snow, how many people do you have on your team, by the way? Um, depends on how you look at it, because I also own customer education. Um, right. So it's it's a small and mighty team. So we've got you know a scaled team of like three, and then we have um, four or five in the customer education front. Um, customer education. So I'm assuming yeah. that you know they're they're creating. Um, knowledge-based articles right so some written maybe some video yeah, at, at snow it's actually that's a whole separate team um it, it's it's interesting because um you know we've got kind of knowledge base being created over here we have technical documentation being created over here mm -hmm. and my team is largely focused on e-learning modules that are in our academy plus all the instructor-led stuff where we actually okay some Do more LMS. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Are you doing certifications too? Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially yeah. for our part, partner program. So it's 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 a pretty broad broad brush. Webinars potentially. Yeah, webinars are you know we do like AMA um, type things. So we we'll do yeah, ask me anything sessions. Oh, okay. Which are pretty cool. Office hours. A lot of people. Yeah, yeah it's basically the same thing. Um, and, and the occasional webinar, um, but for the most part, we've been focused on just kind of like that as needed stuff. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and then the scale team, tell me a little bit more about what those three scale folks do. So um, they're embedded, you know, regional, we have a couple in EMEA and one in, in the Americas and um, the team kind of operates in three modes if you will um one of them is is inbound so if we have you know an inbound request that comes to like a shared inbox or whatever we'll kind of round robin it and i'll jump in there too and and kind of handle some of those requests we have a lot of outbound stuff so uh you know we've built out we're a gain site shop so we've built out a bunch of like triggers and and alerts when stuff goes sideways or when things are working well and so our team will reach out to either the customer or just engage the internal team for, you know, assistance mm -hmm. uh, if needed. And then we also use the team for um, things like survey responses. Because, mm. you know, so many times you as a customer, you respond to a survey and you kind of expect to not hear anything back when you do that, because that's kind of like right. the yeah. crappy norm. Um, sure. But I think especially, you know, with things like NPS, we've really tried to respond to every single response, kind of do a, f you know, full circle kind of loop back to, to whoever's, you know, provided that feedback because, you know, you, you don't do that once and then you never hear again from that same contact versus, you know, you want to hear from that same person over time, over right. and over again to make sure that you're getting kind of quality data on your deltas so yeah interesting interesting mm -hmm. yeah what do you think that your role is or your responsibility as a manager it's a loaded question <laughs> that's why you're here 
It's a loaded question. Um, and I love this question because the easy answer would be, you know, I'm here to help drive my team along, you know, with the, you know, align their objectives with the company goals and objectives and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, sure. It's a big part of it. Um, I think for me, it's much more of a exercise in just relationships and being a human who can, you know, help um, be a sounding board, um, it kind of, but but also provide, you know, guidance where needed. It, it kind of, I mean, player coaches, I guess, is what I'm trying to describe. But but really, for me, I mean, it's 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 very much about the relationship because I like to know not just what an individual is doing on a day to day basis or how I can help them you know, be more effective and, and, you know, get stuff done. But I also want to know what factors um, they're facing either in their personal lives or professionally that, that impact what it is they do. Cause I think that's, a, that's a huge part of the context that a lot of managers just kind of overlook um, that I think is crazy important. And, you know, that said, I don't always succeed at that, <laughs> you know, because sometimes it's hard. It's very individualistic, you know. Right. Well, that the best managers that I've had, I'm, I'm always kind of in awe of them because I'll look around at the team and everybody's so different and figuring mm -hmm. out what each person needs and certainly even just building that relationship. Like mm -hmm. I know as a recruiter, I click with some people that I'm talking to more than others, and then I'll send them to a hiring manager and they'll have a completely different conversation with them. Yep. So there is that variation. And, um, but I think at least recognizing that as a cornerstone of your work and your responsibility as a manager, I think is huge. And I think it's also, it sets the foundation to help them when things aren't so rosy, mm. which is, I know it's something that you have experienced and, and feel strongly about is, is workplace trauma. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the fact that we're even talking about it, you know, and that you, you brought it up because I think workplace trauma is this thing that previous generations have just, you know, kind of poo-pooed or it wasn't a thing. Like it's work and work-life right. What is work-life balance anyway? I don't think that's a thing. You know, like you bring your, I mean, work affects you. You're a human, right? Like the things that you experience at work are things that have a toll on you emotionally yeah and to expect to kind of hang that at the door when you get home metaphorically speaking yeah yeah i mean i, I guess when i think of work-life balance it's you know having an employer that mm. understands that you have a life outside and that life is important to you as a person, you as a, and your family, but also your success as an employee at that company. Mm -hmm. So 
not expecting, you know, ridiculous response times at midnight on Slack or <laughs> like letting you go on vacation, things like that. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I think, I think that it's wise to reflect on what work used to be like. And of course I, I just know what I see in the movies, but <laughs> But I think, you know, with, with technology and especially with Slack, which I love Slack, it's, you know, anybody that I, I work with or, or bring on my team, I'm always like, do you use Slack? Yeah. But it, it really makes you overly accessible. And with the smartphones, I mean, it is there, there isn't that, you know, I go work at a factory and then I come home and I'm not at the factory anymore. Totally. Yeah. There's so much that you can do from home, from your phone, from your computer. And so I think if I have a purpose right now and what I'm trying to do with my life and, and things that I'm bringing to the table, it's helping people find work that makes them feel good. And during the day, when they wake up in the morning, when they're kissing their spouse, like, because, because there isn't that delineation really. Mm -hmm. And, and you yeah. can't separate the two. And but they, there's still this mentality of like, well, it's like you said, like, oh, it's a job, you know, like I walk five miles in the snow to my factory every day uphill both ways, <laughs> you know, and I put food on the table and, but yeah. it's, it's just not the same anymore. And, mm -hmm. and we can't pretend that it is, we can't pretend that it's okay to hate your job and then like expect you to also be a happy person and show up for your family and your friends. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it is one and the same, I think. It's so interesting because I mean, a lot of it boils down to like, you know, your relationship with your employer, probably the most, I think, extreme uh, example of that would be like working for one of Elon Musk's companies. I know Right. For me, that would never fly. Like, I, you know, I, maybe if I was single in my 20s, like really passionate about whatever that was and just wanted to work 24-7, <clears throat> you know, let's go. But, you know, but but also that comes with a lot of, you know, that comes with a lot of kind of baggage afterwards and and. <laughs> And a lot of people don't really realize that, you know, you throw yourself into something and a few years later, it's like, okay, what, you know, what, what did that, what did that do for you? I mean, it's probably looks great on a resume, but yeah. how are you doing? How are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many candidates that I've talked to where like, they're really just processing some stuff. And then, you know, and then you, and then you have to go for ugh, like so many it's just heartbreaking like okay there are some candidates that yeah are just complaining and maybe bad seeds and have like ruffled some feathers and maybe i shouldn't introduce them to my clients um but there are a lot of people who are sure. good people doing the work yeah. that get fucked over mm -hmm. and that have these stories that and they're like you know and i've i've you know, I've, I've been through some, some shitty situations myself. Um, and I just have so much empathy and it's, and they're just like trying to figure out how do I explain this in an interview? Yeah. Because, right. 
the employer has so much power. And, and that's why I like when I, in 2017, when I like was working for a company that lied to me about my OTE and I had taken a pay cut, it was supposed to be 110. Mm-hmm. And it took me six months because, you know, I was ramping and there were all these accelerators and these spiffs and all these things. And it was really hard to figure out like where your comp was coming from intentionally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I couldn't, I, I, I was having a hard time paying my credit cards off, but I was spending the same as I always did. And I only took mm-hmm. a tiny pay cut Yeah. and I did the math because I finally wrapped my head around it. And my OTE was 73. Oof, that's a big difference. And I, and so I went in and I, and I talked to the head of sales and, and I, and I was like, you know, this isn't what you guys told me you were going to pay me. And he was like, yeah, we're really going to miss you. We're yeah. sorry to see you go. Should have get off the pot. And, and I like, and I, and I was like, fine. Okay. And I was like, I'm, and I have not been a W2 employee since, and I will not. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, you know, there's that, there's that baggage. And for me, it was, you know, also a lot of us overachievers and, you know, type A people have, you know, anxiety from being perfect and always getting the promotion and always getting that validation. Mm -hmm. But I realized very quickly that like the anxiety that I felt like trying to impress my manager or the manager's manager or whatever it is, not even just like hitting quota is one thing. Okay. Yeah. I was hitting quota, yeah. but like, they not like the way I said this, like, and then analyzing everything that they're saying. Mm-hmm. And it just, I mean, it, I would, I would like, I would just have these like flashes of adrenaline and just yeah. like, well, what if I get fired? And then I spiral yeah. and then, well, I've only been here for six months. Who's ever going to hire me again? And like, it just, I also have anxiety issues, you know, which I'm working through. So that's me, but like, but that's a thing. Like, you know, you're supposed to just hang that all that at the door and then just conform to these, these norms. When the reality of it is, if you see somebody's IM status as like, you know, green outside of work hours, yeah, it's like this kind of, you know, the, you, you feel a certain way about that. If you wake up in the morning to like three or four emails or whatever, because you're, you know, your, your peers are in EMEA or whatever it is, like all those little circumstances, you're constantly on this, I guess it's hypervigilance. And it's the same thing that I think you see in people that have like PTSD and those kinds of things, mm-hmm. because let's face it, a lot of us, W2 people do have some semblance of PTSD when something hit the fan uh, and you learned this kind of behavior that, hey, I need to be vigilant about everything that I say, everything that I put out there and make sure my email undo is like set up. But then also like, hey, what did this with that little that one word the CEO said in this all hands, people just go crazy on some of those things especially in times of transition um like an acquisition or something like that like people hang on every single word and so not only are are like you having to deal with that as your own human but then as a leader you've got a whole group of humans um you know and yeah yeah people that are also hanging on every word that that leader said and that you're saying so it's like this it's like you know 
you know, that, that, that reminds me of like, and I always, like, I went to just the, one of those like crazy academically rigorous high schools Mm. and, oh, it pissed me off so much after tests when people would be like, what did you get for this answer? What did you get for this answer? No, I think it was this answer. And like, I, I like, if anybody would talk about the test, I would, I would walk away. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not engaging. I'm not doing this. Like, see you later. (laughs) Oh my God. But that's kind of what it like. It's this kind of group, like, Mm -hmm. oh, makes me, makes me shiver just thinking about it. But, um, so, okay. So what about male privilege? Uh I'm asking as a white woman, so I know I have privilege as well, but I am a Let's take that a step further and talk about white male privilege. Yeah. Okay. Because that's a thing. Well, yeah. (laughs) Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a tricky thing. I don't know what, you know, I don't know what, where you want to go with this, but you know, I've been on my own journey with this stuff and, um, I, I, wherever possible, I try to be an ally, um, no matter what I do. Um, and it's, it's it's been a journey for me, like acknowledging my own privilege mm-hmm. and then taking that a step further to say, okay, well, look, I know I'm afforded certain things right or wrong. It, it becomes an exercise of, okay, how am I going to use this, you know, to, to benefit the, the others that, that don't, ha- you know, aren't on equal footing for whatever reason, or there's, you know, you know, pay imbalances and all this kind of stuff. Like, um, you know, I, th- I think it, it really falls on every white dude that's out there in corporate America to like, you know, raise the flag and be an ally and, and really watch out for your, your peers and your coworkers and your team members and to, you know, to, to help to bolster people yeah. around you. So, I mean, what is, what does that mean being an ally? Um, a big part of it for me is, is a talking about it. I mean, I mm. run the, I run the digital CS podcast, right? It's about digital customer success. You wouldn't <laughs> expect say it, it like to it's be, so boring. you wouldn't expect it to be like, you know, but you know, wherever possible, I try to weave those conversations in, yeah. um, especially with guests you know, of, of color and different gender and whatever, because it is important. And it, again, it impacts everyone. Right. And, and mm-hmm. I think a big part of it is, is, is really looking at people who have really broken those ceilings as role models and examples. Yeah. And so here's, here's an interesting one. Like I like to use this example. Like um, my, I, I grew up, my, my dad is a, a classical musician and um he used to tell me these stories about um, orchestral auditions that a lot of them are, are like blind auditions because mm. you show up, you don't see who's judging your audition. They can't see you. You walk in, you sit down, you play your piece of music and you walk out. And um, I, I love that so much because I feel, <laughs> I feel like we need to do that more in corporate like i don't care what color you are what gender you are or whatever it is like 
I want to know who you are as a person and what your upbringing was and what your background is and how scrappy you are and kind of what drives you in the morning and okay, what education you got and what experience you have. But I care more about you, the person, than what color you are. And I think setting those examples um, is super, super important. Um, and it's just hiring. I mean, there's any number of different places you could talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always top of mind for me because, you know, a lot of times my clients be like, oh, it'd be really great if this were a woman or really great mm -hmm. if this were not a white person. And, it, and of course, I always get a little bit more excited if they're not a white man because I'm rooting for them yeah. more. Sure. Absolutely. But, Absolutely. Um, and I, and I just think that like, and I don't even know if it's legal to like pick somebody for that reason. I don't think it is. Um, but we all have our biases. Um, and I think the hard thing is that like, they can say that and they can want that, but like, they're just, the higher you go, the fewer there are. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so, and, and, and with any type of profile that my clients are asking for, it's always a mix of like, okay, what do you want? What can you afford? But then what is actually out there? And it's mm -hmm. like, I can't create somebody out of thin air that doesn't exist. Yeah. And so, but that's the heartbreaking part is, um, is, is that it, it is rare and it is exciting to see women at the top. Mm-hmm or black women at the top totally you know or name name your color or flavor yeah. um but and then it you know and then it goes back to well how do we the people who do have privilege i'm including mm -hmm. myself in that camp um how do we give back in ways that will help the younger generations mm -hmm. <laughs> Like if you if you told me that a company I was joining had an all female C suite, I'd be like, let's fucking go. Cause like, you know, um there there's just I mean, female leaders are just badass. And um there there are so many great female leaders that you probably aren't amplified enough you know because mm. they're they're waiting in a giant seat and you know i have to say in cs like there's there's a there's a lot more equity i think in cs than in other areas of tech but not necessarily in leadership right i right. think that's still a massive gap and so mm -hmm. i think it becomes the conversation of like really how do we help you know young women and young minorities to develop those skills to like make it a no-brainer you know to 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 get into those positions and it's still not fair that we're having to talk about that like you know well <laughs> from the female perspective i mean i think it has a lot to do with the fact that we bear children. Mm. Yeah. That and the fact that like, and, 
every family is different. And I made my husband wait for a while before we had my kid. And I was like, I was very like, you know, and I knew he would, I knew he would step up, but like, I I was terrified. I was terrified because, you know, my mom was a stay at home mom. Um, and in this transition from, you know, women being in the home to being in the workforce, there are plenty of couples where the woman is still expected to come home and clean and make dinner and, you know, bathe the kid and put him to bed. And, um, but like, even before that, I mean, you better believe that, that men at the top are still not promoting women who are of childbearing age because they know that at some point they might take maternity leave. Mm -hmm. And then there's a childcare issue. But I mean, I think it's been proven that that really impacts, you know, it's, I think, God, I think that was like a Netflix show. I should have watched this before. I didn't realize we were going to talk about this, but like, you know, there's, there's like kind of, kind of goes like this. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to like childbearing age, the men, their careers just. Yeah. Comparatively. Yeah. 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 And I mean, there's socioeconomic factors there too, which is unfortunate, you know? Um, Yeah. Plays it plays a huge part because let's, I mean, childcare is, freaking expensive oh my god yeah <laughs> you know yeah and um i mean the, the you know well and just I mean, even you, like you almost have to be like in a dual income situation to afford to send oh you know using oh. one person's salary to send somebody to daycare like 100 percent. Like, yeah and like you know what's interesting is is i think covid has create has has inserted some interesting variables into this whole thing because uh during covid we all got kind of used to being remote and yeah. it was a it, depending on who you ask it was a pretty cool thing because remote meant hey you could kind of be there and you could kind of watch over some things during summer break or or whatever you know whatever depending the situation is yeah. yeah depending on how old they are um Right. And then, you know, I've seen this play out several times um, with uh, with folks where, you know, all of a sudden there's this kind of return to work mandate. Mm. And all of a sudden, families that maybe are, you know, have had new kids, additional kids, whatever, during during covid, um, they're looking at. I mean, you could look at it as a pay reduction, but they're looking at the increased cost of like, hey, look, I need to go to the office two or three days a week. All of a sudden, I need to find some childcare. And so you've effectively decreased your take-home pay. Or I need a second um, car. Or need a second car. Or like we only have one is. car. And so Dan's mm-hmm. starting to go in the office more and he's just Ubering right now, but that's not cheap. Right. And so like, you know, the privilege element the privileged element of that, the conversation is very much around, look, that's what it's always kind of cost to, you know, go to work and do the thing. And I'm like, that, okay, this, you know, this ain't the 1980s or whatever you want to like, you know, things are different. <laughs> and um, I, I think this is where it falls 
on employers to really do their part to, su to support their employees in yeah. that regard. Um, and there are some that do that. There's a lot that can't, like your small companies, of course, you know, that it gets, it gets harder in startup land, right? Yeah. Um, and, and the economy, whatever you want to say, but, but I really do think that, you know, if you, if you're going to, you know, invest in minorities and invest in women and invest in people, let's just, you know, mm. invest in people, invest in people, you know? And not just because the law told you to in Europe. <laughs> so, sometimes when you're at work and you're going through a really hard time, either because of a situation at work or because of something at home, or maybe even both, it can feel really isolating. And I think mm. that was another, actually another reason why I was like, I can't be a W2 anymore is because like, if I, like, if I'm having a panic attack, like I'm going to start crying. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't matter if everybody's around me. Like I will start crying. I will start hyperventilating. I can't help myself. Mm. And then people will call me unprofessional and, you know, it just kind of spirals and then it gets worse. Now, a lot of people have a little bit more self-control than I do, but, you know, again, being, being an ally to your team, how do you, how do you identify when somebody's going through a hard time and, and what do you do to help them? I love this question. My, my favorite question to ask during a one-on-one. -on -one is let's say we're having a one-on-one -on -one and I'll be like, how's Sarah the person? Hmm. And it, it invokes an interesting response. You know, I'm getting kind of choked up thinking about it. I know. I almost started. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you want to know the answer? No. <laughs> yeah, sure. But I mean, it, yeah. it is interesting because that little turn of phrase, uh, you know, it, it, it removes the kind of like screen, right? The protective screen. Um, and it, it opens, it opens the opportunity for the other person to be vulnerable if they feel safe and mm. hopefully build the environment where they feel safe to share. Um, and I really try to lean in with my own personal experiences, you know, um, I have a son on the spectrum. A lot of my employees have, you know, kids on the spectrum. Um, I myself dabble on the spectrum. You know, it's like those kinds of things are, you know, more common than not, honestly. Like, you know, you, there, there are people who struggle mentally. And sure, there are signs of it, like whether it's performance, but also like, you know, how do they look? What kind of language are they using? Like, this is where listening comes in. And if you feel like something's going off the rails, you know, or, or, or you feel like somebody's struggling, like as a manager, you can't be afraid to just call time out and go, how's Sarah the person? Because, you know, whatever. Um, 
you know, and, and I think you'll always encounter people who aren't ready to yeah. share. Um, what I, w- what I would say to that though, is, um, if, if, if you're going to commit to doing that stuff as a leader, you got to have your therapist on tap. <laughs> you got to take care of yourself a little bit because, yeah. um, invariably when you do that, people, people are going to talk to you and they're going to be real with you. Um, and so, you know, you got to be able to listen to it. You got to be able to take it. You got to be able to internalize it. You got to be able to like really listen and, you know, be empathetic. And those are all skills and things like that, but it takes a lot of mental energy. And so you kind of have to protect yourself a little bit, which I haven't always been great at. Um, but (laughs) practice makes perfect, I guess, but, um, you know, you got to take care of yourself a little bit as a leader. I think it's like, put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on mm. the kids kind of, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I love the give people the opportunity to be vulnerable if they feel safe. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, you'll be surprised what comes of that. Have you ever been in a situation where like, and thankfully I've never, mm, (laughs) I've had like low key sexual harassment issues where Uh it's like, like this dude said this on Slack and I can easily like screenshot it and show my manager and be like, really? Yeah. Can you do something about this please? (laughs) But like, but there are some, there's some real shit that people go through And reporting it does not always help them in the end. It's scary too. Yeah. Well, it's terrifying, but it's also terrifying because of the repercussions. Mm-hmm. Have you been in any of those situations or like, how do you coach somebody through that? That like is going through something that like is clearly not right. And it's not their fault. Yeah. And the person that's paying your paycheck, it's their fault. Yeah. Super hard that, you know, the, I mean, the best you can hope for in those situations, like the best case scenario is the, the offender really they've done and goes, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. I've learned my lesson. I'm moving on. I'm never going to do that again in my life. I, I've never encountered that scenario. <laughs> Yeah. You know, um, it's, it's, I think it's, it's a huge problem. And you think of, you know, you also think of these events like your sales kickoff meetings and all that kind of stuff that happens. And when the alcohol starts flowing is like, you know, I mean, there's, it's dicey territory and, um, but even even you know things that aren't blatant like you know your ims or you know unwanted hall comments and all that mm. kind of stuff i mean i think for the longest time that was just like i mean you think of like 50s and 60s you know that was like ugh sh- chauvinistic hellhole <laughs> but you know i'd like to think things have gotten better but i think things have just gotten more like 
you know, under the rug, politically dicey, yeah. kind of not, you know, not cool. So I, as much as, um, I hate to be like, well, what's your company's policy? And, you know, have you talked to HR? And I do think there's, it, it is important for you to understand what your company's harassment policies are. Um, because, you know, you may not feel comfortable speaking with that person directly. You know, you may not feel comfortable speaking with your manager. Um, a, a good HR organization, they should have a responsibility to take your complaint and, you know, take it seriously and, you know, handle it appropriately. That said, you know, there's a lot of HR organizations that don't do that well either. And, and it's like, you know, you end up down the road with those, those, um, you know, repercussions and, and, and labels and all that kind of stuff. Right. Because the employees not paying their bills. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. sure a lot of people get an HR for the right reasons, but you don't bring in HR to keep people happy. You bring in HR to keep lawsuits from happening. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, you know, I think, um, I think for me, one of the most powerful things, um, if, if, if it's something that you're comfortable doing is going to the person that said unwanted thing or whatever, and being like, I really didn't appreciate you saying that, uh, mm. you know, I, I, I don't think that's acceptable. And I would really hope that you don't do that to me or anyone else ever again. Sometimes just calling them out like that is like, holy shit. Yeah. And, you know, the other person may be like, hey, I didn't realize I was doing that. I'm, you know, you, and, and here's, here's the thing. It shouldn't fall on you as the victim to educate other people. That is unfair. <laughs> but at the same time, if you are subject to those things, you are in a unique position to help others who might be experiencing the same thing at the same time. They're just also afraid to talk about it because I guarantee, I mean, the people right? that we're yeah. talking about are probably repeat offenders. You know? Yes. Well, and that, that kind of flips the narrative too, mm -hmm. where where instead of the victim, then you are now set the one setting those boundaries yep. and really keeping that person in check, whether or not it works. I mean, I think, I think the other thing to do would probably be like, I mean, you definitely don't want to like start like, you know, bad mouthing somebody at work, but like making yeah. sure that it's documented. Even oh. if it's not HR, even if it's, even if it's like sending yourself an email with a timestamp, totally. yeah. this is what happened. This is what they said. This is what time it was. Um, or, you know, maybe telling your manager or whatever, or somebody that you trust, but like yeah. having that documented so that when it, if it happens again, that you, you have that record of it. I don't know. That's what I learned from these Supreme court hearings. <laughs> Yeah, that's sure. my takeaway. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> what was that guy? I mean, that's, yeah. that's the thing. Like you know, if you if you address it, 
you know, in a, if you address it and it keeps happening at that, that's the time for escalation, you know? And, and I, there's nothing wrong with setting boundaries. Yeah. And nobody's going to argue with you for setting boundaries. Like, you know, but if somebody keeps breaking those boundaries, yeah. do stuff about it. Mm. Life, man. Yeah, it's hard. It's like, you know, we're all just like fifth graders being bullied on the schoolyard. Yeah, with our, all our little insecurities and little wounds. With our skinned knees. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so cute. I love, like, my my daughter is a little over two and anytime she gets an owie she wants a little kiss and like it's like that makes it better you yeah. know and sometimes she's like no no mommy i kiss it and then she'll kiss it and it makes <laughs> i just like oh i love this age and i Self-care. just like it. and it just i just uh i know she's gonna go through stuff you yeah. know but i just yeah. i don't know you don't want them yeah. to go through all the bad stuff that you've been no. through too, you know? Well, she's got a good mama to show her the way. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Um, is there anything you wanted to talk about today that we didn't cover? I don't know. We covered a lot, eh, man. How's yeah. Alex doing today? <laughs> you know what's funny is um i before this call i had a massive sense of relief that is the stupidest thing ever but um i can't stand it when my fingernails get just long enough to where when i'm typing my the nails touch the keyboard so right before this call i like cut my fingernails and i was like i'm good (laughs) you know it's the little things little things yeah well i'm i'm very grateful to my husband because i have been so self-conscious about all this podcast stuff and like keep telling myself like as long as every episode is better than the last episode like that's all or in some way you know in terms of like you know, the content or the way it looks or the, the video or audio or whatever and i'm re- i realized how part way through i didn't turn my lights on that i have today whatever yeah and i left the window open but (laughs) i was freaking out i hated my background and um i told my husband i was like i think i need some shelves and sweet sweet man who loves me so much i like didn't think there was any way that we could get this done um but this is friday i'm talking about this and he's like He's like, baby, I will build you some shelves. And I'm like, you're not going to go to Home Depot and like cut everything. And then it turns out there's this huge snowstorm. But I found these. They were only a hundred bucks each. There are three of them at Office Depot, but he had to go to three separate Office Depots. One of which was in Boulder, which is an hour away (laughs) when the weather is not storming. Yeah. He, He went all over to get all these shelves and then built them this weekend just so that I could have my pretty background today man you got you got a keeper that's a keeper yeah. right there i know yeah. he loves me he loves you know me. that's that's one thing that i think is um going back to kind of our earlier conversation 
which is that everybody you work with has their own version of a support system. Some have better support systems than others, but I think it behooves you as a leader to know, know as much as you can about your person's support system, mm. because guess what? You have a responsibility to the support system too, you know? Um, and so I love that, that, you know, cause, cause I'm the same way. Like, you know, my wife is crazy supportive. She's like, you know, if you're recording an episode, like that's, you know, it's, it's hallowed time. Like, you know, let's, let's get out of your way to make sure you don't have like background noise and all that kind of stuff. So it's like, you know, I, I love that because we all, um, we all benefit from the people around us in different ways. And the other thing, just, you know, bragging on you, your show is awesome. I love these conversations that you're having. They're like real conversations. Yeah. Like, you know, they, uh, they, uh, you, you come at it from a place of safety, uh, to, to kind of, you know, be vulnerable and, 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 you know, speak, speak your truth. And so I really appreciate your style and how you've kind of gone into okay. these, con this conversations and all the guests that you've had and stuff like that. So well, kudos to you. Thank you. Well, and I, I've shared with you offline and well, actually on your podcast a little bit too, just like how, how hard it, like, this is like a level of vulnerability that like just never experienced before. And, um, <laughs> and every, every time I try to post an episode, I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and then, you know, but like, yeah. I don't know if it's, if it's helping some people then and I know it is like, you know, just keep on doing the work. Right. Um, and, uh, right. yeah. And you're, you're an old, an old pro at it. Um, but I, yeah. I always appreciate the support and I appreciate the friendship. Likewise, right back at you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, here's two more episodes. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> 2024. Yeah, it was great. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll talk soon. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating or writing a review. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss out on future episodes. The audio is available wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're interested in seeing the recorded video, head on over to YouTube. My goal is to bring you stories that educate and inspire you. So if you have any questions, thoughts, feedback, or if you have someone in mind who could be a great future guest, don't hesitate to reach out. I post episodes every other Friday, so I'll see you in two weeks.